0: welcome to the garbage pod one pod one load of garbage 29 and 28
1: Every remanded in custody there's something have really been curious about this broadcast
0: everybody and welcome to episode 3 of the Garbage Pod Taproom This episode is a little bit different than usual Firstly because I'm flying solo And secondly because we're going on a little field trip Those of you who have listened to episode 52 of the Garbage Pod Will know that we recently spent a few days in Lincolnshire A few miles down the road from Skegness Is the quaint market town of Wayne All Saints Which is also the home of one of the UK's most renowned independent breweries Although Bateman's breweries specialise in mainly car scales, you'll find Bateman's bottled beers in pretty much all the major supermarkets. As we were in the area, I thought it would be a travesty not to pay them a visit. Everyone at Bateman's was very hospitable, and we managed to have a chat with their head brewer and production director, Martin Collymore.
1: We are a well-established family brewery. We've been brewing on this site for 140 years, so... Um, uh, We've been at it a long time, yes. Yeah. (laughs) So how many different types of um, beer do you actually produce? Well, in the course of my career as head brewer here, we have produced literally hundreds of different beers. Um, At the moment, our main concentration is on uh, our four main brands. We're mainly a cask conditioned beer brewery, so I'll concentrate on the cask beers. Uh, We produce our uh, uh, standard bitter, which is XB. XB bitter is uh, 3.7% alcohol, Yeah. it's flavoured with traditional English hops of Goldings and Challenger. Um, it is still the biggest selling brand that we have, so most of what we brew is Bateman's XB. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to that, we also have a, a high gravity beer, a high gravity bitter that we're probably more famous for, which is called Triple X uh triple x is a four point five percent alcohol beer um that's the one that uh has won the champion beer of Britain at the great british beer festival in the past uh and is um and has won countless other awards as well it's a high gravity beer so because of the nature of of beer the stronger it is the more resistant it is to um uh to oxidation in the pub cellar. so Our Triple X tends to be the one that people go for as a guest beer. Right. As well as that, we do, um, and have done for many years, um, a porter called Salem Porter. Um, This is Bateman's brewery. Um, The name of the company is George Bateman and Son Limited. Right. But the address is Salem Bridge Brewery.
0: Oh, right, okay.
1: And that's where Salem Porter comes from. Right. Which uh, is a 4.7% alcohol beer, um, made with uh, lots of roast malt, dark malt, chocolate malt, mm-hmm. and roast barley to give it its character. Gives it um, a very um, dark colour. Um, the overwhelming flavour probably is licorice, actually. All oh, right. Which is an interesting character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and is very popular, especially around Halloween for some reason. Salem, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're coming up to that now. The fourth um, fourth beer in our permanent range is, uh, is a re- uh, the most recent edition. It's Bateman's Gold. Right. Bateman's Gold is um, our version of a new style of beer, which has become known as uh, American IPA. Mm-hmm. American IPAs are uh, heavily hopped golden beers, so the clue's in the name here, Batemans Gold. (laughs) So it's a light golden colour, it's hopped with American hops of uh, Cascade and Chinook. Mm -hmm. These give a very citrus character. Um, As the beer matures in cask, the character can change from grapefruit to tropical fruit. Right. Um, it's very much a citrus character that we get from those two hops. Okay. Um, and it, it actually changes throughout its life, because as you know, cask beer has live yeast in it. Mm-hmm. So it's a living beer. It, um, it's not like a sterile beer that... Um, yeah. Once it's in the container, that's it. I won't say any more about that. Um, <laughs> so for that reason, the uh, the beer is not finished when it goes straight into the cask you need to mature it and we typically mature our beers for between three and ten days depending on the strength Okay. before we allow it to go out into uh, into trade wow. so part of the production process is maturation inside the cask Okay. this conditioning process takes place in the cask so we call it cask conditioned beer it has to be simple so the brewer can understand it <laughs> It's probably difficult to say in in the terms of pints, but
0: how much beer do you actually sell a year? All right.
1: (laughs) 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 No, we're not the biggest brewery in the world. So uh, typically we will do um, uh, six or seven brews a week. Um, A brew will consist of, um, on average, 75 barrels a barrel is a unit of um, 36 gallons not a container you put beer in containers you put beer in are called casks or cakes a barrel is a unit of volume which is 36 gallons or 163.659 liters. not that that's indelibly marked on my brain but that's the figure that we use so that's the volume that we use typically the casks are nine gallon casks or firkins Yeah so uh, we're looking at producing a brew of 75 barrels which will produce 300 firkins and we'll we'll do that uh, six or seven times a week wow does that answer your question um
0: (laughs) pretty much yeah that's that's impressive and at different times of the year um, are um, certain beers more popular like you were saying that you have the Salem
1: Porter is, is popular around sort of Halloween time. Darker beers are more popular in winter and the lighter beers are more popular in the summer but that's a bit of a uh, sweeping uh, statement. That's a bit of a... Um, well, it's, it's, it's too easy just to say that. <laughs> uh, all, the, all year round we sell the XB and the X and the gold. Um, the Salem Porter tends to sell better in the winter, that's winter. true. Okay. And the gold tends to sell better in the summer.
0: Because I've, I've noticed at beer festivals lately that a lot more, um, the darker beers are, are tending to become popular. Uh, even in, uh, I mean, at the Great Great British Beer Festival this year, the, the darker beers, the Stouts and Porters, incredibly popular this year.
1: Beers, like everything else, going the popularity, the uh, in vogue thing goes in circles, I'm sure. Um, the beer I've talked about, uh, Bateman's Gold, uh, is a style of beer that's a recent style of beer, um, as a as an India Pale Ale, American IPA. Um, that style developed when American microbrewers uh, thought they'd go back to the old original recipes. The mistake they made, of course, was that uh, they added the hop rate that people would have added in Victorian times. Um, forgetting that in those days, the active ingredient of hops to make beers bitter is a thing called uh, isohumulone. The humulone levels in hops in those days would have been around about one or two percent, and now it's between ten and twenty percent. Really. So by going back to the original recipes, they're actually adding ten times as many hops as they were originally intended to do. But nevertheless, that has now become a style in its own right, which is uh, a beer that um, mainly gets its flavour from the hops. Uh, the traditional English ales will be a blend of um, flavours from the malts, the hops and the yeast. The yeast provides um, an extraordinary amount of, uh, of flavour to the beer, um, and that is balanced by malt, sweetness from the malt and dryness from the hops, and that will give you what traditional old-fashioned brewers like I like to brew, which is balanced beers. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is uh, my old-fashioned way of brewing beer, sadly.
0: Well, it's not a bad thing. I mean, I think things should be brewed the traditional way because otherwise, you know, the the, the old techniques will die out. And I think that's important that we keep British beer as it was
1: originally intended uh, yes there is a place for traditional beer um, and but there's also a place for new and innovative beers because the other thing that gets me excited is that there's a whole new range of different hops that are being produced Right. Um, and in, in in Britain the British um, hop Association um, are developing uh, new varieties of hops with different characters and that provides uh, an exciting palette if you like like the artist's palette. Um, this is the brewers palette for creating different characteristics, different flavours, different beers, new beers, new exciting beers. So yeah, um, there's a place for traditional beers, there's a place for innovation or new product development. Both so are exciting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so next up for us now, um, you're, you're kindly going to allow us to go on the, uh, the, the tour.
1: Yes, we will, uh, we will get somebody to show you around the brewery um, who is um, experienced in, um, in brewery tours. Um, if you um, then have any further questions, technical questions, which they can't answer, uh, please let me know and I will um, do what I can to answer them.
0: Brilliant. Great. Well, thanks for talking with us,
1: Martin. Uh, you're very welcome and enjoy the tour. Thank you.
0: After the chat, Martin arranged for a personal guided tour of the brewery before it was open to the public, so he was shown round by Nadine, who I'm sure you will agree, did a fantastic job.
2: Okay then, so this is where it all began. As you can see from the plaque on the wall, George Bateman, the son, and the 140th year anniversary has just served last year. In 1874 then, George Bateman was a farmer, and to be perfectly honest with you, he wasn't very good at it. So he bought a lease in an established brewery called Crows Brewery about 200 yards down the road from here. He then started to brew a beer called Small Beer at 2.5%. This beer though wasn't brewed for the pubs, it was brewed for the men working in and around Wainfleet. Now 140 years ago about 1500 men would be employed by the farmers and they actually had an obligation to supply the men with any drinking water and this is because Wainfleet was a major port and it became flooded and it made the water slightly salty to drink. So, as part of the boiling process used to boil the liquor of water and used to give all children half a pint of good honest ales for breakfast. <laughs> wouldn't be allowed today, would it?
0: Not really, no.
2: Okay, did you come in across the railway? Yes. Yeah. Okay, you didn't come by train, did you?
0: We did, yeah. Oh,
2: good luck getting home again. In 1880, the Grand Railway came to Wainfleet and was actually made a compulsory purchase. The, with the money George made from the sale of the old brewery he bought the house at the top of the lane called Salem House and he also bought this, the stable block. And that's when he decided to put the brew house up onto the first floor. Now moving on to 1921, Harry, George's son, took over the brewery after the death of his father. And one of his first jobs actually was to lay off the workforce, sadly due to economic turndown and because the men didn't return after the great war. So he sent the women to work. But unlike today, where we all enjoy a nice cold pint, we drank tea and it greatly affected the sales again. Harry was upset by this and he sat down with his head in his hands and he needed to find a solution and find one pretty quick and the solution my friends is behind you. In its day it was a five sail flour mill and it was so expensive to repair the sails, he removed them and he turned it into a bottling plant and that's why there's a bottle now at the top of the weather vane but he didn't just bottle beer here, he bottled port, brandy and gin and he kindly paid them all out of his own pocket. Now a decision was made to purchase pubs to sell our beer, and over the next 40 years, about 130 properties were bought within a 50 mile radius. Now the company traded very well until a gentleman called Dr. Beechin, may have heard him on the news this week, took away the railway system, and obviously this affected our sales greatly again, because this is how we used to transport odd bottled beer to the major towns. So just like everything else, they had to find a bit of a solution, and the solution still sits in the yard today he bought a fleet of 1965 austin lorries you now at the same time keg beer what these red barrel was the leader in the field and again we started to brew keg beer but it was unsuccessful so in 1971 an organization called camera was formed and what they did was they promoted our beers they helped us through good and bad times and introduced a new hedge brewer in the 80s called Martin Collingmore. He actually still works on site today. I think you've seen him this morning. Him. Yep. <laughs> Don't ask him any questions though, because you will get value for money and he will be here this time tomorrow. <laughs> so he took us to award-winning levels and we won five at the uh, Great, Great British Beer Festival, the Supreme Champion and Mild being a winner as well. And we continue to win awards all the time, not just for the beers that you see at the pumps, but obviously the ones when we enter competitions as well. Okay, so moving on to 1985, then the third generation, two brothers and a sister, had an argument over the ownership of the brewery, with the younger brother John and Sister Helen wanting to sell their shares to another company called Whitbreads. Bit of a swear word round here. I
0: can imagine. Had
2: this happened, sadly the brewery wouldn't be here today, and it looked like the rest of Wayne Fleet, rather grotty and run down, and would probably be a housing estate. Thankfully though, the eldest brother had a little bit more sense, and he also had a monopoly on the share of 51%, And what he did was, he persuaded the others to hold back their sale until he could raise enough funds. So Monday to Friday, he used to commute down to London on the train, trying to find someone to help him. And he wasn't very successful. And as a last resort, he put an advertisement in the newspaper after a few months, and he almost gave up, a gentleman rang him up, and he said, I don't have any money, but I actually have the means and contacts to help you. That gentleman is still the chairman of this company to this very day. Wow. So on the 2nd of February, 1988, a little bit of a deal was concluded, and they handed over a cool £9 million. And what they did was, they handed over the shares, and they locked them into trusts, so no the family member could ever threaten the future sale of the company. Unfortunately though, 60% of the estate had to be sold with a buyout, and it's hoped by the end of this decade, we may be owning up to around about 90 properties again. Now we're going to go have a little bit of a step back in time. Now we're going to go into the Victorian Brew House. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't got to tell you to mind your head because you're not not five foot eleven. You maybe though. <laughs> On the fourth step up, there is a girder. So just be a little bit careful when I shout hard hat area. Okay. Okay, if you'd like to follow me this way. Sure. North can be a bit wet with the boys cleaning as well because it's Friday. Okay. So up to 2002 then. It's so not that long ago. This is where all Bateman's beer would have been brewed. Now, I want to mention the watering area 140 years ago was unfit to drink. So they introduced this machine up here called the Wort Copper. And basically they boil the liquor of water, around about 180 degrees. And they add hops to it to give bitterness to the taste. Now, the hops we use are ones like these called Goldins. And they're actually from the Worcestershire area. But we use hops from over the UK and different parts of the world as well. And if you cast your eye just back up to the Wort Copper again, you can see there's a gauge that runs down the centre of it. And this measures the volume in barrels. This machine is capable of making 70 barrels, which is the equivalent of 20,000 pints. Now, we start to brew at 4 a.m. in the morning, then again at 9.30, and then 2.30 p.m. daily. The new brew house, which is three times the size of the Victorian one, and obviously can brew on a bigger scale, now allows us to remove the afternoon brew. So the boys still have to be on site at 4 in the morning to make sure you guys get a good pint. That's dedication (laughs) for you, isn't it? Okay, if you'd like to me through to the malt stores. Okay. Okay, the malt stores, we've got four of them. And it basically is what it says on the tins. It's where we store all our grains. So we have wheat, barley, rye and oats. Two of our beers, Combine Harvest and Autumn Fall, consist of all four grains to make them very complex in their flavours. We receive the grains in and we store them in dark rooms. And this tricks the grain to thinking it's still germinating. And we want to use it, we roll it to get rid of any spores, and we stop it from doing this before we mill it, before we brew with it. Okay, so the grains we use come from this country, and we know that, because it's sampled with the British origin on the sacks. Right. And as you can see, we use a company called Molsters, and we use faucets of Castleford and crisps of Norfolk as well. Now, have any of you guys got a wheat allergy? No. Okay? I'm giving some grains to sample now. If you don't want to eat them, just simply smell them, okay? Now, one of the first grains is this one, which is a pale malt. And this one will be found in uh, XB at the pumps. Mm. Okay, so the flavy would be experienced in there. It's a little bit like Ovaltine or Horlicks. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the next one is a pale crystal malt. And this one will be found in things like Triple XB. Now, the Triple XB got its name from the squadron plane that they actually flew in, and that's why it was named this beer. Exactly the same grain, It's been roasted a little bit longer. Um, Got like a cinder toffee type taste, a little bit more sticky.
0: Yeah, that's completely different.
2: Mm. You actually some other roaster. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
2: okay. So, the next one was a pale chocolate malt. Don't be fooled by the name, though. It's a bit like Willy Wonka's around here, not all as it seems. <laughs> and this one will be found in things like Port, Guinness, and Stout. Um, it's also in the Salem Porter, which you have on the pumps at the moment.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's also put in one of Martin Collymore's first project is when he brewed the victory ale, which is obviously the ale they made when they won ownership of the shares. And we actually still sell it to this day. It's been roasted for about an hour and a half.
0: It's a lot deeper.
2: It is, a lot darker. Mm. Most people say it's got like a burnt charcoal type taste. A bit like burnt toast, if you like. Okay, Okay, so there are the grains. What we're going to do now is go to the mill machine. And I'm going to tell you how we get the grains ready uh, before we brew with them. Okay. okay? If you'd like to follow me this way. Sure. So the mill machine, Um, this one's 80 years old and it replaces the one which stands in the yard and it actually came from the old brewery in 1880. Now it's manufactured by a company called Robert Boby of Buryer St Edmunds and in its prime time it was the Rolls Royce of milling machines. In fact it was so good the manufacturing company actually went out of business purely because it never broke down and it never needed a repair and it actually still works to this very day. I only wish my car was made by them. Yeah,
0: it looks in very good condition. It
2: is. The boys sometimes have it up and running as well. OK, so the grain which we've just seen in the malt stores is drawn up through the hopper at the back of the room. right? And it's passed by these two sets of rollers. And you've got one on top here and one directly underneath. Now, so the grain which we've just seen, it passes through. And it almost pops the husk, if you like, into a flower-type form. Right. And when it's got to this stage, it then goes in this tube here, which you can see. Mm-hmm. And it travels upwards and across the ceiling it does with pressure being applied and then it goes to another machine called the mash tun which is where we're heading next if you'd like to come this way okay okay so the mash tun just a bit of a recap then it goes in that tube it travels upwards and across the ceiling and if you just cast your eye back you can actually see where the quiz tank or hopper is situated just above you here yeah now it feeds through into this big blue cone and if you can see, there's a big blue wheel at the base of the cone. It needs to be open to allow the grist to flow. To the right of you here, you will see a big black valve. And it needs to be open to allow the liquor to flow. Now, the reason we call uh, water liquor is because it undergoes a process called burtonising. And basically, it's where all the salts, minerals and ions are all added together to make it chemically balanced. Now, in 1953, the water we used actually came from the River Haven at the side of the windmill. And it was hand-pumped. What a job in 1953 when the water became poisoned they had to find an alternative supply from around about 30 miles away. It takes an incredible 99 pints of water to produce just one beer. So thankfully our local water company now allows to take it from the mains and what they do is they put it in big tanks above you and they heat it or Burtonise it in there between 63 and 65 degrees. This temperature is important it has to be tested throughout. Mm -hmm. There has to be significant sugar Uh, in the grain before it enters into the fermentation tanks next door and the temperatures have to be maintained. If neither happens, it will result in something that happened a few months ago when we suddenly watched 25,000 pints being poured down the drain.
0: Wow. It's that
2: important. Okay, so just see here, there's a trigger. And it needs to be decompressed to allow the grist and the liquor to blend together. Now all three operations have to be opened and worked at the same time and they call this a three-armed man. Now this creates something called a brewer's wave because it works in an elongated S-type shape. Now, when the mashing is complete in here, it transfers back up to the work copper, which is what we saw when we first came in. Yeah, yeah. And it also explains this is where the hops are added. It draws up a chamber, and it cascades over some plates, referred to as a Chinaman's hat. Now, the boys on the site, though, call this a little bit of something else. They refer to this action, action as rollicking, because where you might get one for four days at home, it only lasts 90 minutes when you come to work. Oh, right. Now it's from the work popper, it then transfers back to the hot back, which is where we're heading at now. Just like that machine over there. Okay. Coming out of Doctor
0: Who. Get through.
2: So the hop back, big machine, it's 14 foot deep, and this is where we add all the other main ingredients. And we've got challenger, and few and two American hops used to produce the yellow Belly gold at the pumps, mm-hmm. or should I say, called gold now. And this one's in a kettle type form. Okay. Feel free to touch it if you want. Okay. Um, it's not really extremely sticky, obviously with a few people having their hands in it.
0: Yeah. That's quite nice. Mm.
2: So that's one of the hops which we use in the gold. Now one of the other ones we use is one called Chinup. This is what gives you an after kick taste to your beer. But unlike this one where it's in petal form, this one is in pellet form. Oh, right.
0: You
2: can smell that. Yeah. Maybe you have to tell me may not be able
0: to tell me what it is. I don't know, because I'm getting a kind of a... I don't know if it's a kind of a gingery kind of...
2: People do say that, and it's actually a fruit, if that's a clue.
0: All oh, right, So it's going to be something citrus, isn't it? It is. Yeah.
2: It's passion fruit. Okay. And when you taste your beer, and it just starts to go to the back of your throat, and it starts to go down, that's the aftertaste you get. It's very popular. Okay. So one of the other hops we use... I'll um, use it a lot in Combine Harvest and a lot of the festivals in October and November and the time is one called Galaxy, but again don't be fooled by the name, also in pellet form.
0: Mhm. Oh that's different.
2: I quite like this one, any idea?
0: Possibly be grapefruit or something like that. Do you
2: know, some people do say, sometimes say that for that one, but this one's lemon and lime. Yeah, and so getting a, yeah. was. Okay, so, the cascade goes in the hot back, and then what we do is, we add these to the fermentation tanks last minute, and we refer to this as something called double hopping. Right. Now, before we go into the uh, fermentation tanks, I'm going to tell you a little bit of information. And I'll tell you the reason why I've told you out here, rather than in there. The temperature of the wort is too hot for the fine ingredient needs to be added. So, we put some heat exchangers in the bottom of the tanks and they're maintained between 19 and 24 degrees. What happens is, cold water is pumped through to maintain the temperature. And two components are used through fermentation one is gas or carbon dioxide. And what happens is, it slows the rate of fermentation down. Mm-hmm. So, what we do is, we add a machine called a rouster, which is what that is on the center picture of the wall over there. And basically, it's a big, long, naked garlic arm that goes right to the bottom of the tanks and it draws up the word. Now, it introduces air into it, and it revitalizes itself, and it blows back over itself. And what happens is it starves the brew of oxygen. It's going to do the same to you guys too. When we go in there, I don't know what we're going to find because I haven't been in this week. It may be quite gassy and fumey, so if you feel a little bit unwell whilst you're in there, mm-hmm. don't wait to tell me, okay. just come straight back out. Okay, if us a follow me through.
0: Oh, this is the of water. Wow.
2: This is a bottled beer, I think. I'm, I'm going to check with the boys on the way out what they're actually brewing because I'm not sure of the abbreviation on here today, so I can do one. This is a combine harvest. This is the same as what's in that tank. But again, I'll check with the boys. And this one's empty. Okay. Okay, so the process in here then is repeated four times within the four to seven day period where the beers are in the different tanks. Cold water is then pumped through at a lower temperature, around about 15 degrees, and then the brew is put to sleep. So if you check the gauge on the front, when they get to 15 degrees, the is having a little bit of a siesta if you like, it's resting. Now what happens is, the yeast will be scraped from the top, and the first 50% will be sold to companies like Marmite. The other 50% will be used ready for the next brew. Now, years ago, the first 50% used to be scraped off, and it used to be sold to farmers for animal feed. Now, because it's full of gas and carbon dioxide, it actually made the cow's stomachs explode, so you can no longer sell it to them. Wow. Now, these ones here hold 18,000 pints, and these ones hold 25. Now, we'll do a bit of an experiment with you today. If you'd just like to go to the tank when we first came in at the end. The tank just to cool it now, and if you place your hand it you can just about feel the heat which is rising from it. And at the same time, you just cut your hand like this, bring it back
0: to your nose, like that. You can smell
2: the hops oh, and the yeah. an aromas which is going on in
0: there.
2: Yeah, so obviously, today, um, these are all controlled electronically, but years ago, they used to use the old fashioned elbow method, like they used to test the baby's baths. Okay, if you'd like to head back that way, please. Okay. Very much. Okay, so all the equipment then has to be cleaned, and the tanks are a bit like cleaning your car, if you like. They're pressure washed and then they're sterilised, ready for the next brew. Now, years ago, uh, the hot back and actually part of the reason the new brew house was open, actually had to be hand cleaned. Got to remember it's 14 foot deep, it's going to be around about 90 degrees in there, and it's got a copper top. So the two smallest people would be chosen on site that day mm-hmm. and what they would do they would lower them down and turn by the harness which is hanging on that wall over there in 10 minute intervals one in one out watching with a shovel right to the bottom and used to have a gentleman called Happy Larry which they nicknamed him who used to do it because when he went in there he used to pass out because obviously he used to get the smells all going and it was hot and all the uh, hops are related to the cannabis plants he wasn't fit for any work at the end of the day but still got paid for it <laughs> I think he was quite clever. (laughs) So, all the equipment actually was still working. We fired it up. And it used to run off hot coals. I'm sure if you speak to your parents and your grandparents, years ago, uh, two bottled beers never quite tasted the same. And that's because they couldn't simply maintain the temperature like we can electronically today. Mm -hmm. And that's why they used to fluctuate in flavour and taste. Okay, we're going to go through to the new brew house now. If you'd like to come this way. Creighton, what are you doing, man? Oh, sir, I'm listening to the garbage pod. It's a podcast I found in the potosphere. Okay, so the new brew house then works exactly in the same way as the other one, but obviously on a bigger scale. So you've got the work copper here, you've got the mash tun behind you, and then you've got the hot back. But unlike that one out there, this one is self cleaning and it works on a whirlpool type motion. A bit like your washing machine, if you like. Unfortunately, for the boys, though, the mash tun actually still has to be hand cleaned. So unlike the two smallest or two thinnest boys, actually have to take it in turns, go through the hatch which is just over there, and they use the ladder which is hanging on the wall. Wow. It's deeper than 14 foot because seen it being cleaned, but due to modern technology, they do have a light on at the top.
0: <laughs>
2: okay, so the uh, new brewery house then cost a cool half a million pounds to build. And everything in here, including down to the screws, is second hand. Uh, it was all resourced from old breweries which were closing down. Now, It was supposed to open around the February time, but there was a little bit of a delay, and I'll tell you why. They went to put the roof on, and some numpty didn't quite read the plans correctly, and the pillar over in that corner wasn't in the correct position, and it delayed the opening of the new brew house. It was eventually opened on the 16th of March, 2002. Now, if you cast your eye just up on the wall here, you can see some names on some plaques. Now, these people came to the opening ceremony of the new brew house, and the party was supposed to last eight hours. 72 hours later, <laughs> these names of shame decided it was time to roll home. So, Stuart, who owns the company now, huge, huge fan of sport, because he used to be a PE teacher, opened something up called the Beer Members Club, and this is where this idea came from. Basically, it cost £99 to join, and then £35 every consecutive year after. And it's good value for money, and I'll tell you why. You get a limited edition polo shirt, far better than the one they give me to wear to work, You your name is shame, brick and the wall for life. (laughs) And you also get a pound diary. Now, this pound diary is not to be sniffed at because you and your friends, who choose wisely, get to come and party here free of charge about eight times a year. And we normally have a congregation of about 100 to 150. And we challenge you to drink 1,500 pints in four hours. Hasn't quite been done yet. (laughs) We have scraped the barrel a few times. Now, when you get back into the bar, and if you cast your eye up, you'll see there's a playing card on the ceiling. Because at these parties, we put on music bands, but at this particular one, we had a magician which came, and he performed a trick on a lady, and she thought he was rubbish because he couldn't find her card. So he clicked his fingers, and to the amazement of the rest of the bar, this card magically appeared on the ceiling, and nobody actually knows how it was done. <laughs> but we will find out, I'm sure we will. Okay, we're gonna go back downstairs now, and take to the oldest and coldest Victorian passageway. Okay, if you'd like to follow me this way. Okay. Okay, so welcome to the oldest and I always say coldest Victorian passageway because believe you me in winter, it is freezing down here. <laughs> and it's like standing in front of a wind tunnel which comes through there. So, just pass dry right upwards, you can see basically where the hot back is. And I hope the engineering looks as grand as it does and it doesn't come down anytime soon. Yeah. But it's also in this area then, the beer is destined for bottling. And what we do is, we put them in big tanks and we transfer them across the road and we sent them to a company called Marston's of Burton and Trent. You may have heard of them, Marston's Ale and Ty was on telly not so long ago. So they take away our beer then and they carbonise them to, uh, to make them vegan and vegetarian friendly. And they probably do between 3 to 4 million pints for us every single year. Now years ago we used to bottle Guinness and uh, sadly we lost the contract because as time went on Guinness became very modern and trendy to drink. So they changed the shape of the bottle and as you've probably found our bottling equipment isn't very modern and trendy and it can put the label in the correct position on the bottle. And that's actually why we lost the contract, and it was a huge blow for Bateman's. Now, there's 5,500 uh, bottles around the brewery. It's the biggest, fullest collection in the world. There is a bigger one in Belgium, which has 10,000, but they're all empty. So, as far as I'm concerned, it does not count. Okay, so next door, we'll so the bees go to the wrapping area, and they add a product called Isinglass. And basically, this is from the swim bladder of the sturgeon fish, formerly known as fish guts that's what's in your beer. Now have you ever have heard of the term called the wet allowance about W-H-E-T? I've
0: heard
2: of it. Yeah, should I jog your memory?
0: Uh, yeah, please. Okay,
2: myself and other people work here, get a free daily allowance of beer, which is two and a half pints or 60 pints a month if you like. So quite often when we come down here, maybe at this time, or pubs 12, pubs 2 and the boys want a break, they're quite often drinking a beer. It's actually still perfectly legal because it's part of their working requirement if you like. So years ago then the men and the women used to congregate here in their break times and Mrs Bateman actually despised it and she hated the men and the women being together having idle chit chat. Just like today the men were left here to drink. But I think she was looking out for the ladies and I'll tell you why. Because obviously at the time our beers would have come from the bottling plant across the road and we used to go and choose the bottled beer which we fancied. We'd have six if we wanted and what the girls used to do, they used to put it in a big crate. They used to... Get this crate together and used to carry it back up to the stairs. And uh, they used to sit in front of their desk throughout the whole working day and drink all day long. Now, she actually still sits in front of the same desk, in front of the same warm coal fire. There is no central heating in the main offices, so I think he's very down to earth. Okay, if you'd like to follow me this way, change to the cellars.
0: A word of warning before we continue into the fermentation room. It's very loud in there, and in certain parts, you may struggle to hear what Nadine is trying to say. But don't adjust your volume levels too much, okay?
2: A label on them and they're sealed and they're sent to the chambers next door but the chambers next door are set at around 20 degrees and this allows for the hot yeast and sugar to carry on uh, producing carbon dioxide and blood to be broken in its solution there's also next door that the cast is sent out through something called wholesale division so therefore the information on the label is very important and I'll tell you why. So we've got this one, this is autumn full, so it gives you the product name next part gives you a dial number, an identification number, who brewed it, where it was brewed, where's it's dispatched from. And the next bit gives you a best before date, and it's normally four to six weeks uh, after it's left the transportation area where it's been held for around about ten days. Now before one of the big barrels in the transportation area, a hundred and ten pounds in tax per barrel has to starts to de- deposit in the belly of the cask and if you try to open it on arrival it will basically go up like a can of coke with a covered head to foot so they stood it for about 48 hours and then they spile and tap them You've probably heard of it this is a spile here and what you do is you drive it through the ceiling of the cask yeah. just here to reduce the pressure but it also reduces the shelf life of the beer to just 10 days when you go to Spoons and your beer is a county where the parts. Simply buying into shelf life beer. There's nothing wrong with it, it's so they can get a bit bigger volumes. Then he inserts a tap, referred to as a and tap tapping. And what he do is he'll take a sample off of it and he'll look at it. He will never hold it up to the light. You hold it away from the light, it's normally getting something which is red to check the clarity of the beer. Then he will smell it and he will taste it. If the beer smells or tastes sultrous, then it's regarded as green and it's not mature yet, and I have to leave them for around three to five days. Other uh, bitters like Jim Potato Landlord bitters take around eight days to mature. And the next bit then, they have to connect them to the lines of the pot. And I'm sure you've all been into a pub at some point and you have a beer that doesn't quite taste right. It could be, he's spoiled and tapped it, but he hasn't tasted it, and he's hooked right. it straight up. It could well be that it's dirty lines. Probably unlikely, we do out religiously once a week. It takes about 30 minutes, you flush them out with chemicals. What happens is all these dots deposit in the tube, so that could give you which is for your taste. It could also be someone maybe hasn't had a lot of cellar training. And obviously the uh, barrel goes at the bar and they say to something you go and change it, it's gone. And they'll go into the bar and they'll put a smaller one on to what's come off. they put the wrong exercise operation on for the line. So for every kind of beer which is pulled off of the pumps, kind of bear has to oxidize again. Now these uh, casts here are around 50 or 60 years old and they replaced the wooden barrels which we used to use, only up until about 10 years ago. But sadly due to health and safety, we can't use them. They're not cost reflective and the gentleman who used to clean them sadly passed away. But our new way forward is these over here. These key casks. Oh right. A bit of wine in a box if you like. These are beer in a box. So, as you can see, there's an air pocket inside. Yeah. And they will fill the beer and it inflates the air pocket in them. So these are good for a few reasons, Uh, through transportation, uh, although they get shook up it doesn't deposit in the belly of the cask because they're not laying that way round, so that's a good thing.
0: Right.
2: second thing is you can use them straight away when they arrive. Um, The downsize of them is they only hold 52 pints, but that's good for smaller breweries who don't sell as much beer. Uh, But you can only use them once, they're not recyclable. Uh. Would they be possible to in 20 years from now. Where's Joey? He's just upstairs. Okay, well that does conclude my tour. Do you have any questions?
0: Not that I can think of, actually. I'm just fascinated by things.
2: Yeah, PCAST. I don't think they will replace the barrels completely. I think what will happen is, maybe in 20 years, a bit like, uh, the barrels in Europe, they will become plastic. Yeah. I think they will still have the spine and tapping facility onto them. I've got a little bit of information table when we get back outside, but I'll tell you out right there it's a bit noisy
0: in here. Okay,
2: everyone, follow me this way. No problem. Okay, so I don't know how familiar you are with Bateman's Pub, but a little bit further down the road, we have a pub called the Checkers. It's a beautiful English traditional pub. One I suppose your parents used to take you to as a child, and years ago they used to transport the prisoners there. And what they would do is they would hold the prisoner upstairs, obviously awaiting sentence because he, maybe she, was naughty. And the guard would stay downstairs and get absolutely sloshed. So the prisoner used to escape through the sash windows. <laughs> Funny enough, they don't hold the prisoners there anymore. Also, years ago, they used to have a jay horse called Limerick. And he was a big shire horse, but he was blind. But he never let the boys down. Sadly, one day, Limerick passed away in the stables. He was actually Jacqueline's horse. who owns the company now. When she was a, a child, it was her pet. So, they come in here, and Paul Limerick passed away. And in those days, they used to send the horses to the glue factory. Because he was so uh, loved, they didn't want to do that. And he got the boys together. And just over in our backyard, we have a huge willow tree, and they hand dug a hole to put the horse into. So, they dragged the horse over there, but because he'd been laid in the stables for two days, rig horses had set in. So, he was too big to fit in the hole, because his legs were doing this. So the boys turned around and said, we can't dig this hole any deeper, we are exhausted. So they sawed the legs off of the horse. Obviously, that gives another meaning to the word legless.
0: legless. Yeah. Okay, if you like to follow me this way. <laughs> Have
2: you been upstairs in the artifacts room?
0: No, not yet. You go upstairs and turn
2: to the there. It's a beautiful artifacts room, it's got loads of information about Bateman's pubs. And in there is a mill room and it's where we actually keep our bride sometimes when they get married here. Okay. Not forever of course, that's why she <laughs> waits. And it's got the, a big beautiful perspex ceiling and you can see where the old workings of the mill used to be as well. So feel free to go up there as well. Okay. Hi. Oh, you're
0: back. Let's go down to the bottom
2: and turn left. I'm sure Dave will help with anything else that you need. Okay.
0: Thank you Thank you, Nadine.
1: Bunhead Productions
0: are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, Fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spamhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spamheadproductions.weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. Martin Collymore wanted to arrange for us to take away a growler of Bateman's Gold so that we could review it on the show. But unfortunately, with all the toing and throwing and also not knowing when we were going to be able to record a review show, it wasn't feasible as the beer would not keep and be at its best for review. However, after the tour, we made our way to the brewery bar where they had Bateman's Gold on tap. And I must say, it's a lovely beer, but unusual in the fact that it's a modern style beer or ale brewed in a traditional way. I'll put photos of our day at Bateman's along with links to the brewery. And just in case you wanted to join the Bateman's Beer Club, there will be links to that too. Before I call time on the Garbage Pod Tap Room for another episode, I would just like to thank Martin Cullimore for taking time out to speak with us and the Dean for taking us around Bateman's Brewery. I'd also like to thank you all for listening and we'll speak with you all again soon. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of the Garbage Pod Tap Room. Be sure to visit www.thegarbagepod.weebly.com for the show notes for this or any other episode. Just look for the relevant tab on the menu. Let us know what you think of the show.
2: Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com
0: because your input is our output. Or you can use the social media icons at the top of the page that include Twitter and Facebook. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also TuneIn and Stitcher On Demand Radio. Don't forget to rate and review us. You can also listen to rebroadcasts of all our shows on the Awake Radio group you can find a link on our podcast pages. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages and don't forget to spread the word about us.
2: The Garbage Pod is a Spamhead production.